Okay. Welcome, everybody. Thanks for watching. Thanks for tuning in today on this beautiful summer day. Live from my drum room, episode number 47. Today, my guest is my very special friend, Chad Cromwell. Uh, fine, fine drummer with an incredible career. I mean, you know, has played with the who's who of, of you know, country artists and rock, rock musicians and rock bands and um, you name it. Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young, Neil Young, Joe Walsh, Peter Frampton, Jackson Brown, Bonnie Raitt, um, a, a ton of sessions, So, which we'll get into in just a minute. But um, anyway, Eddie Taduri is watching. All right, Eddie. Eddie, great to see you, buddy. All right. Um, I did all my sharing. I want to thank everybody, first of all, for continuing to subscribe to my YouTube channel. Thank you for doing that. And a, a quick mention that as I said on my last broadcast, that I've now um, begun to put some of these on Apple Podcasts and Spotify as as podcasts. So please go ahead and download those. There's only about nine or ten episodes so far. I'm slowly making my way over there with with these uh, episodes that are on YouTube, so that you can listen while you're driving in your car, or like I do, you can listen to podcasts when you're out for a run or a bike ride or something. So. Um, so check it out, Spotify and Apple Podcasts, live from my drum room, download them, tell all your friends, give them out as Christmas gifts to all your friends. They make wonderful gifts, podcasts. I highly recommend it. So, <laughs> all right. Anyway, uh, we might have a couple of people join me today too. Joe Vitale. All right. I want to, well, since Joe just popped his head in here to say what's up, uh, I'm very happy to say that Joe will be my guest in the near future. I think, Joe, we said August the 18th, uh, so in just really a couple few weeks, I'm really excited to welcome Joe Vitale, which um, another hero. I'm such a huge fan of his. So, Joe, I just want to give you a heads up that uh, when, you're, when your time comes, I'm going to be gushing like a, like a fanboy. So get ready for it, pal. <laughs> All right. Anyway, um, again, thanks for tuning in today. Got a few folks here. That's great. Uh, so we got Eddie and Joe and me, three handsome Italian boys watching the show at the same time. It's pretty good. All right. Uh, without further delay, because my grandkids are out waiting for me at the pool and I told them I'd be out there in a little bit. Um, so without further delay, it's a pleasure and an honor to welcome my good friend Chad Cromwell. Good morning. Good morning, Chad. <laughs> you're you're uh, good morning, brother. You're you're turned. The phone turned itself again. Oh, you know what? Okay, watch this. Okay, for everybody watching, this is how you correct this problem. Okay. Okay. Now. Yeah. Beautiful. Perfect. It's a. Uh, I'm paid a lot of money to uh, sort problems like that out. <laughs> so you're, 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 uh, do, you're doing a fine job, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good to see you. I got to tell you, Eddie Taduri and, and Joe Vitale are watching right now and they both say hello. Oh no. Yeah. Oh, Pressure's I'm in This is not going to go well. You know that, right? I know. Fellas, fellas, I miss Joe Bob. I love you, brother. Yeah. 
Pretty cool. Joe, Joe's going to be my guest in a, in a few weeks. So I'm excited about that. Oh yeah. He's going to have stories, pal. <laughs> oh, I know. I know. <laughs> I, I'm sure you read his book. I, I read his book. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Sto- stories he's, upon stories. He's, you know, just, uh, uh, not to, uh, this really should be the Joe Vitale show because <laughs> what I, uh, and I've told him this. So, so it's, it's, uh, it's a humbling thing to, to be in a band with somebody uh, like Joe Bob because of the fact that what he may or may not remember, uh, when I was in, gosh, this is like 71, I think Barnstorm came out around 70, 71, something like that. And, and just after the James Gang thing, when Joe moved on from that. Yeah. And uh, I got I heard the Barnstorm record for the first time. And I was still too young to even be in a band, but I wanted to be a drummer. So I had a, a, a drum set. That's a whole other story that we can get into. Uh, but but that record influenced me so heavily uh, as a, as from the way that Joe played drums on that record uh, to the way the tunings that he was doing. He was doing like bigger sort of lower tunings and it was just all sounds that lit me up. I mean, it was a really, really big deal to uh, to find that record. And, uh, and Joe Bob had a profound influence on the way I approach rock and roll music. So uh, thank you, Joe Bob. And that's it. That's a, no more until you give me the rest of those family recipes for pastas and stuff. I'm not, I'm not saying any more nice things about you. <laughs> I've, heard, I've heard about this ongoing, you know, Joe won't not sharing his, his family recipe for his, his sauce. And yeah, that's hilarious. He hooked me up with a linguine clam sauce though. He did do that. <laughs> and it's really good. Oh man. That's too funny. <laughs> that is too funny. Well, yeah, I mean, and, and I know you guys pre pandemic, you guys were playing double drums with Joe, yeah. with Joe Walsh. Yeah. Oh, yeah, we, we toured uh, uh, seven to let's see what was it, uh, 2016 and 17. We toured pretty regularly, and then uh, way back, going way back, um, uh, we toured together with Joe uh, with the Doobie Brothers, and so it was two bands, two drummers in each band, and uh, then around that same time we recorded the ordinary average guy record together. Yeah. So, so there is, so that, that sort of, we've got some, we've got some, uh, some miles and some hours logged in to, to playing double drummer kind of stuff. And actually we're really good at it. We've, we've got a really great language that, yeah. that, that we share playing Joe's music together. It's, it's really, it's a really fun gig to do with him. I'll bet. And, and that's a good point because I just saw two great drummers last night playing double drums. Yeah. Um, I won't mention their names, but their initials are Rick and Jerry Murata. Oh, uh, they're not any good. Those guys, <laughs> they're not any good. Lightweights, a couple of lightweights. And, uh, and but, <laughs> yeah. but like you and Joe, you know, man, you, you've got to be able to, like you say, communicate and, and, and speak that language and, and, the obvious thing, not getting in each other's way. And I could see knowing your style and knowing Joe's style, I could see that working 
perfectly with you guys because you guys know how to play a song without obviously, you know, not inherently being busy. If the song calls for, for playing a little bit more, you'll play a little bit more, but you guys yeah. are such groovers and you know how to just play the song, the part yeah. and, and not get in the way. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, I, I, I know that for myself and in my, my early training, uh, as a drummer and, and learning how to be, well, not really so much just to be a drummer, but to learn how to be a drummer that, that can get phone calls to show up at recording studios and play people's songs. You know, the, the training that I got uh, with, with that is, uh, is all really about playing the song, not so much about playing the drums. You know, uh, yeah. that's, I mean, obviously you got to play the drums, but, but it's really about understanding and interpreting the song for the artist and the producer that you're working for and what their vision is and maybe what your vision is that you can contribute to the process, you know? And, and, and so like, like my training is, is deeply steeped in Memphis R&B. That's where, I, that's how I was taught. I, I was taught by, uh, and I've told the story a number of times, but I was taught by Jim Stewart, the founder of Stax Records, and his partner, Bobby Manuel, who was uh, one of the Stax backup guitar players to, to Cropper uh, back in the, you know, in the 60s when the, the heyday. But then those guys, uh, Jim and Bobby, subsequently after Stax folded, began their own journey with Jerry Wexler in Atlantic and a production deal with those guys. And that that's where I got my schooling was that phase of their careers. And, and uh, man, I cannot tell you how many times I was told, you know, don't play a fill. No. Don't play any, you know, yeah, it's just yeah. strictly about groove and making that feel good. And so anyway, all that being said, uh, Joe, I, I, I don't know his early training. I'm not, I'm, I, I can't say that I, really, I know that story, but I can guarantee you somebody got in his ear about the importance of the song, you know, uh, translating that on drums. So. Uh, yeah, Joe, Bob and I, we just have a thing, you know. We, yeah. well, I think we understand that process pretty well. I think so. And and, and I, the first time I saw Joe play live, I the first time I met him, um, and it was just an introduction. He, I'm sure he doesn't remember this. It was almost 30 years ago. He was playing. My friend Marty Farah was playing drums with Glenn Fry, and there was a double bill of Glenn Fry and Joe Walsh. Yeah, and and. Uh, Joe Vitale was playing with Joe Walsh, of course. And I remember before the show, I was backstage and I met Joe Walsh for the first time, which was pretty funny. But um, he, he, <laughs> I'll tell you that in a second. But, but he quickly, he introduced me to Joe Vitale and, you know, really nice guy. And I was obviously a big fan. And, and I remember that night, Joe playing a lot of keyboards, playing drums, of course, with Joe Walsh. But then there was some, when, when, when Glenn and Joe got together and did some songs together, it was Marty on drums and Joe Vitale playing great keyboards, you know, and, and, uh, very impressive. And, but, but the, Marty introduces me to Joe Walsh and I think Joe 
I hope he's not watching this. I think he was still drinking at the time in 1993, possibly. In 93? 93? Uh, man, I I can't remember the exact that. That's close to around the time I think he he was got back together with the Eagles and the sobriety process started. I can't remember exactly. Yeah, yeah. It was it was prior to Hell Freezes Over, the Eagles by maybe a a year or two, maybe a year, but 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 he was really nice. He was really funny. He he uh, Marty introduces me to him, and he's really nice. And and he said, uh, you know, Keith Moon did a drum solo on TV with goldfish in his drums. And I, and uh-huh. I saw it on TV. You probably did too. It was on yeah. in concert or one of those shows. He said, I picked out those goldfish for him. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I learned something new that night. And then he, he told me this joke or story that I'm sure you've heard a million times. He said, you know what my grandfather, the, the last words my grandfather said to me were when he was, you know, yeah. Oh yeah. 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 Joseph. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry about the nose. <laughs> Sorry about the nose, man. <laughs> yeah, that's a great story. Yeah, yeah, it still makes me laugh. <laughs> well, Joe is a funny man. He is a seriously funny guy. Yeah, but I, so I, I started to tell you this off off the air, but I'll just quickly tell you. You and I had we hadn't met in person yet. I I had spoken with you on the phone. You'd been a, I think. You'd been a Zildjian guy prior to me coming on board. I started there in 89 and I think yeah. you've signed with them before that a couple of years before. And, uh, but I knew you're drumming from Neil Young. I, I think from the, uh, cause there's a video f- of rocking in the free world, right? There's a, yeah, there's a, like a yeah, you mean like, like an MTV kind of a video? Yeah. Like a, like a, yeah. live, you know, live. Yeah. And I, I'd yeah. seen you on that. I love that song when it came out in 89 and, and, uh, and I, I, you know, I knew that was, oh, that's this guy, Chad Cromwell, you know, great drummer. So you were playing either with Jackson Brown or Bonnie Raitt and you were, you came to Great Woods, the big shed, you know, outside of Boston where I saw you a million times. And, uh, and I knew Deborah Dobkin from when I lived in LA from yeah. like 1985. So Deborah was on the gig playing percussion and I, I bumped into her like when I got there at the, at the gig, wherever, whatever gig it was that I met you at, I said, I'm looking to meet, uh, you know, Chad Cromwell. We've spoken on the phone a bunch of times. I'm, I'm excited to meet him. I, and I, I, she said, well, you can't miss him. She said, he's tall, good looking, looks like a pro ball player. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then, you, and then I, I finally saw you and there you were tall. Like, you know, and you look like a pitcher for like the major leagues, you know what I mean? Like, you, you go, hey, man, you know, like gave me a big hug. And and uh, I just thought. That hey, was wait, wait, did, did you think I was good looking? Of course I did. And I still do. <laughs> <laughs> of course I did. Yeah. Man, if that's so funny that, that Deborah would say that because, you know, I, I talk to my wife, Wendy, all the time about this. Or not all the time, but but when I think about, you know, when my early days, I aspired to being a baseball pitcher. That's what I wanted to do. That's what I did in school. And uh, I really, really had a passion for that sport. And uh, my dad was a scholarship athlete. And and, uh, I aspired to that. It didn't end up happening that way. But... uh, for her to say, "What? Well, that's the guy who looks like a baseball pitcher." That's yeah, just, she did. That was exactly I, what I wanted to be. 
you know? Yeah. So, and, uh, uh, you, you know, and so with you guys being growing up as a Red Sox fan, you know, it's like, forget about it. See, I was a yeah. Sox fan all of my life. I didn't you know? know that. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I followed the Sox for, for a long, long time. In fact, one of the high water moments for me uh, for sports was uh, was uh, was getting to go. Let's see. This was uh, this was two thousand. This was uh, two thousand six during the Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young tour, and there was a very important uh, series going on—a four-game series with the Yankees visiting Boston, mm-hmm. and and you guys were deadlocked, and it was down to the wire. You know, it was unbelievable how exciting that was. And, uh, and, and, uh, uh, uh Neil's, uh, uh, or Bonnie, what's Bonnie's last name spacing out now. I'm so sorry, Bonnie. Anyway, she worked with, uh, with Neil's manager, Elliot Roberts over at, uh, at, uh, at, uh, the management company. And she was also a Boston uh, native and she knew people and, and, yeah. uh, and so I said, Bonnie, you know, short notice. I said, is there any chance, you know, is there just any chance? And she started laughing at me. She knew what I was asking her for <laughs> before I even said it. And I said, she said, you wanted to go to the baseball game, right? And I said, whatever it takes, you know. And she went, I seriously doubt that I'm going to be able to help you on this series. But let me make a few calls. I'll get back to you. And she called me back like the next day and said, I got you some tickets. Wow. So I got to go and see those guys go at it. And the Yankees were staying in the, our hotel. Oh, that's true. So I got to meet Derek Jeter. I got to meet, you know, several of those guys. And my little boy at the time, who's now 28 years old, yeah. was also a, is and is a gifted athlete. And he got to meet those guys. And man, Shepard, right? His name's Shepard. It it's just there's nothing like it, you know. There's yeah. just nothing like it. So, well, I I remember that tour because when you when you guys well when while you were in town, you had a night off after the show and you came down to our house. Yep. We were living in Situate and we had dinner at the um, little place on the water. On the water, yeah, we had yeah. a great hang. And I think you told me that story about going to a game, or or yep. maybe maybe you were about to go to the game the next day or something, but. Um, but at that time, and still to this day, when the Red Sox and the Yankees play, it's, it's oh, yeah. first of all, it's it's like playoff baseball during the regular season. That's right. Every every game, and like you say, it's the hardest ticket to get to to get a. Oh, a it's incredibly to. difficult, and to set foot in that park, yeah, you know, and and to set foot in the alleys where all the food's going on, and the, you know, oh man, it just you know from a. From a jock's point of view, it doesn't get any better than that. It just doesn't. Yeah, but, I, uh, I, you know, I, I'll I'll admit, I grew up a Sox fan. Absolutely did, yeah. Chad. But there were a couple of years where I kind of fell out due to them breaking my heart. I think, like a lot of Boston fans, it just, it was just kind of like. But after two thousand four, it there was yeah. this whole redemption of like they can do whatever they want. You know, it's yeah, if they, yeah. If no they, doubt. If they, yeah, that was that. And I got to the the first game of the World Series that year. My sister-in-law had a, Kelly's sister had it in and got us these great seats. And uh, and just to be able to go to just any game in the World Series was just 
unbelievable and yeah oh yeah yeah phenomenal good for you good for you that's a big that's that's a big deal you know speaking and i gotta say speaking of 2006 in the uh, crosby stills national young tour Mm -hmm. that still 15 years later resonates with me as one of the greatest shows i i know i told you this the next night when we were at dinner um it had this like I, you know, I, for no other word other than spiritual kind of effect on me, it really did seeing those guys, you and you and Harry, our good friend, Harry McCarthy, who was your tech mm-hmm. on that tour, yeah, got me a spot. And I think Jim McGaffey was there. I don't know if he was lucky enough to be in this spot, but I was sitting behind you most of the show. I was literally on stage in a little spot by Harry because Harry and I are about the size of a you know, you can put us in a shoebox basically. <laughs> That's <laughs> so. We were, we were out of the way, but, but there's Harry. He must have, he's right on cue. Harry, we're talking about you, but yeah. I had this, yeah, I had this amazing spot, right? Well, this show is actually really about Harry McCarthy, isn't it? It is. It's always, I mean, ultimately we're leading up to, to really the focus of this is, is Harry. It's always about Harry. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> <laughs> he's saying stop no but I, I just remember sitting there watching you watching the show the intensity of, of you playing of of the four guys the whole band and at one point graham nash i remember he came walking he came maybe it was for the encore or something he came walking by me and as he walked by he put his hand on my shoulder and just smiled at me and i i just i was so i was like wow you know and i'm not i'm not starstruck like that i'm really not people probably think i am but i was you know it just had a real it really moved me and uh and neil especially was like he had his he had those flip-flop um you know shoes do you remember that it, it yeah. one said flip one said flop and jim McGaffey yeah. went out to the merchandise booth and bought me a pair i still have them <laughs> <laughs> but it was it was hilarious man but but it was just such an amazing show musically and spiritually and and uh uh, that was an intense. Uh, that was an intense tour, man. That was, you know, the uh, we had made this record uh, called uh, "Living with War," and it was w- when that record got recorded. Um, it was just one of those, like, not so unusual for Neil, but I think it's a, a fairly unusual process of recording where where uh, he. Uh, he had these concepts for making that record and wanted to record the songs. But the way that we recorded them was three piece. It was just me and Rick and, uh, and Neil in, in a, a small recording studio on his ranch that, uh, I mean, it was a very small studio. And, and so not a ton of room for a big band. So we set up and, uh, uh, you know, to, to do this thing, and it was just Rick and, and myself, Nico Bolas, and Neil, and um, we 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 started like we would. He would come in the door with a song that he had awakened to that morning, and he and he wrote the song out right, and then we he brought it into the studio. We would record the song, and then. Uh, he would leave, you know, he would go back to wherever, you know, wherever he was going, his house or the train barn or what, wherever the white house, all these places on the, on his ranch. 
and uh, uh, and then he would come back at a, whatever point in the day. We never knew when it would be with the next thing that came to him. Wow! Right. So it was this real kind of stream of consciousness, or it could, I think he even mentioned that one or two of the songs came in a dream. You know, it was just this really like obviously something that was weighing really heavy on him as a writer, you know, as, as a composer. And, uh, and so this method, we just put it on tape, three piece kind of rock and roll, whatever. And, uh, and then down the line, he went into the process of finishing the record. And then now there's a gigantic choir involved in, in the record. Right. And, uh, and so he, he added, you know, this, this really huge choir, uh, sort of arranged and led by, uh, Daryl Brown and, uh, of course, overseen by Neil and produced by Neil. And, uh, uh, and so it became uh, almost bigger than almost like hymnals, you know, like, a like reading, like singing songs out of a hymnal kind of a vibe, you know, with this yeah. sort of heavy underpinning of rock and roll, like really raw, uh, rock and roll. And who is that? This is Fiona, by the way. This is, this Hi, is my Fiona. granddaughter, Fiona. Hi. How are you? That's, that's my friend Chad, who's a drummer, a really good drummer. You think Pops is a good drummer? Yeah. He's about a hundred times better. <laughs> that's not true. He's really, really Your grandpa good. is a much better drummer than me. No, no, no. no. Huh? I can't tell. She can't tell. Oh, you know what? This microphone, you know, let me, let me, oh. I'm going to, sorry, Chad, she just wanted to say hello and I'm going to put the, oh. um, okay. You should be able to hear her better now. How about now? Can you hear now? Can you say, mm -hmm. can you hear her? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, I just, she wants to show you that she lost her first tooth this week here in Wait, okay, hang on a second. Whoa. So what about the tooth fairy? Have you guys started writing the letter and getting prepared for the tooth fairy? Oh, she already came actually. Really? Yeah. What kind of car? What kind of car did you get? <laughs> I didn't get a car. I got 20 bucks. <laughs> okay. 20 bucks. That's heavy money. I'll tell you, Chad, the tooth fairy is a lot more high tech than when we were kids and we lost our teeth. Yeah. yeah. Now, there's like a special pillow you put the tooth in yeah, and the tooth fairy can find you wherever you go. Right. Yeah. So you're, you're pretty she far away. She is fall. It follows it. So here she is on Martha's vineyard. She woke up the other morning and there was a receipt that the tooth fairy had taken the tooth and confetti and, con and confetti and two $10 bills because the tooth fairy knew that Fiona loves Hamilton and the $10 bill has Alexander Hamilton on it. So it's very. Uh, uh, okay. Yeah, that's pretty big. That's big deal. Yeah. So um, did you, did you tell Fiona that she, with one of those $10 bills, did, uh, did you tell her that she has to take grandpa out for some ice cream with some of that money? <laughs> she did offer. She offered to to spend it on treats for us. Treats? Oh, for yourself. <laughs> yeah. I think you should keep all twenty bucks. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And and my wife is is 
is reminding me to let everybody know. I think people might know that Fiona is a drummer too. Oh. And she's, she's been playing some drums downstairs here at the house. Well, excellent. Yeah. Excellent. Well, carry on. Keep playing. Yeah. All right. Well, this is fun, honey. Much. And you're a dinosaur fan too, I see. Her little brother is, is the biggest dinosaur fan, but she's a big <laughs> dinosaur fan too, right? Yeah. Yeah. But you're going to go swimming now, right? Yes. And I'm going to be out there when Chad and I are done with our, our talk. I'm going to be out in that pool with you. <laughs> All right, hey, thanks, Dude. sweetie. Dude. <laughs> There's your pistol right there. Oh, yeah, she is She is too much. She is too much. <laughs> well, thanks yeah. for saying hello to her. She. Oh, uh, no, no, I'm happy to. Happy to, man. She, Congratulations she to you. I, yeah, she she like, you know, she just she wanted to come on the show. <laughs> so fair enough. Fair yeah. enough. Thanks, buddy. But so, anyway, yeah, so I'll, yeah. I'll wrap up the living with war thing, and then and we can move on. I just wanted to say that it, it so it became it blossomed into this giant choral experience, you know, and uh, serendipitously uh, when when that session happened with all the choir in it, my wife was in that choir. No kidding. Yeah. And, and I, of course, we had not met each other yet. We didn't have a clue about each other at that point, but, but, uh, but she was singing on that, on that gig. And so this year, what year was this, Chad? This was, this, well, the, let's see. Well, we must've been around, well, the tour was 2006, so the record probably was made sometime in the fall of, two, of, of 2005, I'm guessing. 2005. Because okay. I had come off the road with Knopfler, oh, I don't know, May or June of 2005. And then shortly thereafter, I ended up in the studio making the Prairie Wind record with Neil. And then right after that became was Farm Aid. And somewhere in that that clump of time that year we did that record, you know? Wow. Yeah. So I'm guessing Wendy, no Wendy, Wendy is saying it was fate, baby. Totally. Totally. <laughs> oh, yeah, those, see, I'm not seeing what you're seeing. So yeah. Uh, yeah. She's, she's commenting. She's so you're listening. Hi, baby. <laughs> <laughs> but she's right. You know, those situations are fate. It's, it's, uh, I, I I'm a firm believer in that. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah, me, that's me really too. Cool. And and uh, it was a powerful thing when I met that girl. Oh, <clears throat> that's wonderful. And and yeah. and and speaking of of Wendy, so you're you're kind of living both in L.A. and Nashville, right? I mean, yeah. kind of like mm-hmm. we do the time. Yeah, we have a place here in in Nashville where I am now, and then we're we have our place in Los Angeles, uh, which is a more complicated scenario right now because we're still under construction. We're still in the process of, of finishing the home and studio that we lost in uh, the Woolsey fire back in uh, 2018, November, 2018. So uh-huh. we're yeah. well beyond two and a half years now of displacement from that fire and the uh, inability to operate our studio environment the way we had built it to be. 
and renovated the property to be. And uh, uh, so there's there's a, a lot of challenges around how we both work because she's quite a, a successful session singer and uh, contractor and writer. And she's a really, really busy musician. And uh, she's had to deal with, uh, you know, the, the inconveniences of finding ways to do remote recording. So we have two remote setups uh, for her, whichever town she's in, she's able to, to do remote work for, for clients that mm-hmm. it still happens a lot, you know, and, and, uh, uh, but it's like the one, the, the remote studio here is set up in our closet because it's, you know, it's not loud and ambient and it, it can't be, you know, for proper yeah. vocals, you, you got, it has to be a pretty controlled sonic environment. So we've got her set up in there. Uh, so when she has to sing, she has to go in the closet and lock herself in sort of in this like cell, you know, yeah. and she works there. And then at our place in LA, we live in a RV because of the, uh, well, that's a, it's a long involved story and reason, but the, ultimately uh, we wanted to be near our property and our neighborhood and also be able to keep an eye on things as the house gets built. Sure. And, no, that uh, makes sense. Yeah. But at the time that we decided to do it that way, we had no idea that it was going to take as long as it is taking to get, to get it done. Because then, of the pandemic just shot yeah. it all to hell. Right. I mean, it sure did. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. we, you know, we got hit by the fire that threw us in the weeds, and then right on the heels of that, COVID started. Oh, you know, it's so unbelievable. Yeah, you know, it's just like wow, you know. Yeah. And then life has to go on in the midst of whatever the adversity is. We still got to. We have to roll, don't we? We've got to make our livings. We've got to provide. We've got to. We've got to find work. We've got to take risk. You know, which there was initially a lot of risk you know when when nobody knew what the vaccine timetable was going to be nobody knew how safe or not it was to be in a room with someone else you know all that uncertainty and risk that we were dealing with and uh, after the initial shutdown in california i think california was the very first state to completely lock down and so we sat very still for over three months not moving. And uh, at at a certain point I had to go find, I had to work some, I just had to do that. So I started flying a bit more than I would have preferred to do, but I had to. And uh, so I had to kind of make peace with a little bit of that. Well, you know, I've got to believe this is going to work out. Okay. And, uh, it was pretty bizarre, Johnny. It was pretty bizarre to go to LAX and nobody's there. Oh my god. And hop yeah. on an airplane that nobody is riding on, you know. <laughs> and uh I mean it was really strange. Uh for for that went on for quite some time. Yeah. And I, I was gonna uh, s- sorry. No, I no, no. Say, okay. I remember I remember flying about a month after 9-11. I had to fly out to LA and uh 
and it was a similar thing, but, but people had started flying by then. So I, mm -hmm. I, your situation is a much more, uh, stark or, or, uh, you know, definitely more of an, uh, a, a bigger situation in terms of the amount of time that, that went on with people not flying, like you say, airports empty, um, yeah. roads empty. I mean, after nine 11, it, it didn't affect traffic or those types of things with nine 11, of course, was a tragedy beyond yeah. description, yeah. But, but the, but the pandemic, like you say, I mean, I just remember driving up to visit my mom, you know, um, which normally I'd have to factor an hour plus with traffic because I live 40 miles away driving through Boston and I just zip up there and like, like nothing, you know, and, and just really strange. Yeah. Really strange times. Yeah. Yeah. It, 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 it really was. And, you know, it was really, it was tough on Wendy because when I would take off, she's now thinking, well, what if somebody on the planes got COVID, you know, and, and, yeah. and, 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 and I was too, I mean, you, we, we, at that time, we just didn't know. Uh, and, and, uh, uh, I don't know. It was, that was a surreal experience for a period of time. We had to leave our property. We couldn't be on it because of the grading and all the things that they were, they were doing. And, uh, so we rented a slot at an RV park in Malibu up on Pacific coast highway, uh, it was off season and we were able to afford that for a little while. And uh, this was in, in the heart of the lockdown phase of, of COVID. And from, if you stood on the bluff looking over the ocean, which is where we were, beautiful location. Mm -hmm. uh, if you look to your left on the, looking over the bluff there, you could see uh, Santa Monica, and LAX behind it, and then you could see downtown Nash uh, Nashville, downtown Los Angeles, behind LAX and Santa Monica. It, 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 the, the air was so clear yeah. because there was no air traffic. There was there was just nothing going on. All the traffic, you know, much less traffic uh, sure. on the roads, you know, because everybody was staying in. So the sky was like unbelievably clear. And I've never seen Los Angeles look like that before. That, that clean and it was like downtown looked like I could throw a rock at it, you know, from, wow. from Malibu. From you Malibu, know? yeah. So, yeah. So anyway, it's just like one of those real, those powerful images I have in my mind, especially at night, you know, when you might see one airplane, maybe one plane an hour take off yeah. instead of a hundred an hour or whatever it is, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. So, so traveling through all that, man, here we are uh, trying to get back on track, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it sounds like, I mean, you know, yesterday, you know, you were working all day with Kenny Chesney. Yeah. So it sounds like it's it's somewhat business as usual for Chad Cromwell. I mean, it is. It is now, thankfully. You know, business business in Nashville has picked up, and uh, and so I'm getting my my little chunk of the pie uh, of work, and and really grateful for that. And and uh, 
you know, the live thing is, is starting to, to, to see signs of life again. And, uh, I was uh, ask you, that. you know, so I've got, I've got, I've got dates that I'm doing with a, an artist that, uh, he's actually very, he's like my brother now. Uh, his name is Andrews Osborne and uh, New Orleans based artist that I produce and, and uh, great band. In fact, uh, I can tell you as a brand, brand new information, uh, we're going to open for the Stones at Jazz Fest this year. Oh, fent- in and October. Just the dates. Yeah, so that just got announced uh, this morning, and and the Stones are back on the road. Yeah, I you saw know? that. Yep. So it's really exciting to see life, despite the challenges of of the uh, issues with people getting vaccinated. It it appears as if life is really, really trying to to get back on track and uh, yeah. cats like, like us that do this for a living, you know, we need things to come back online. You know, this is our, this is our living. Yeah, absolutely. You know? Yeah, no, I know. I'm, I'm so happy to see it. I didn't, you know, there was talking about the stones for one second, there was speculation. There's been speculation for some time that they might try to get these dates that they had, um, postponed last year in this year, but I was thinking, you know, for the sake of, of just waiting until like, if, if they're talking about the fall, then they may as well just wait until next year. But it was nice to see that they feel they can, you know, yeah. they can get these in and, you know, yeah. James Taylor's out this summer. And, That's right. And That's right. And then the fall. And so, yeah, yeah people are getting back yeah. to work. I just got to read a couple quick comments to you, Chad, some friends. Are, okay are weighing in here. Billy Amendola, our old buddy from Modern Drum. Oh, Billy! He sends you his love. Uh, and uh, he said... I owe him a phone call. I got to talk to you, Billy. You know we do. We got stuff to go over. All right, cool. He said, what an amazing strength and obviously one of the best players. Love Uh you. And Wendy, too, he said. And uh, and my good buddy, uh, Anthony Cushina, Cushina, Anthony, sorry, I always keep, I, I always want to pronounce that with a ch instead of Casina. Um, just ask if you could talk about your work with Peter Frampton a little bit. Just uh, yeah. how you got the gig with Peter Frampton, I guess, is what he's asking. Oh, okay. Um, well, <laughs> I can't remember how I got the gig with Frampton. <laughs> Honestly, I'm ashamed to say that, but I don't remember the specifics of how that actually started. Um, but, uh, was that like mid nineties, early mid nineties? Yeah, it would have been, let's see. Yeah. Mid nineties is that sounds about right. You know, it was my, my meeting Peter and beginning to work with, with Peter was sort of subsequent, uh, and alongside of, uh, the beginnings of my, my work with, with Mark Knopfler when he uh, started his solo career, you know, uh, left, basically retired Dark Straits and uh, 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 started off on his own path as a solo artist. And so I, I was doing that. I, I started with Mark in 95. That was when I did the first sessions for him. Yeah. And, and, um, and Peter, that happened right around the same time. Uh, if man, Peter, if you're even remotely watching this, will you remind <laughs> me of how we got started? I can't remember. So and I'm, I'm sorry about that. 
But um, but anyway, we got onto it, and uh, uh, it was an immediate like, oh, this feels really good, you know. And it was it was it was the it was John Regan on bass and Bob Mayo uh, on um, you know keys and guitar and vocals and. So those guys, those three guys, well, particularly Bob, that he'd been with uh, with uh, with Peter since the beginning, basically, yeah. you know, and yeah. and uh, or beginning, I should say, post Humble Pie, but uh, yeah. and then um, and then John Regan, not too long after that, came on board and uh, was playing for Peter for many, 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 many years. So uh, that. That was about us. I think we we ran pretty hard together for six or seven years. Yeah, and yeah. did a couple three records. Uh, did that live that live thing, um, the DVD uh, from Detroit. That was uh, turns out that was the first music uh, music video recorded and mixed in HD. No kidding. Uh, this is like. It's like we're talking about like the dinosaur age now or something, but, but that yeah, was, it was, was like, it was a real back. cutting edge thing at the time. It was brand new. The format was brand new and uh, it just happened to work out that, that, uh, that Peter wasn't, was uh, asked to do that project. So I'm glad he, I'm glad that happened because that's actually a really good, uh, a really good DVD, uh, a really good show. Yeah. I, I remember you. I remember you telling me about that too. I didn't realize that was the first. That's, yeah. that's pretty huge because that was a, a like you say a whole new, you know, mm-hmm. format technology level yeah. of of um, of quality. You know. Yeah, it was. It was. A, I remember going into uh, the uh, the studio, uh, the, the the studio product whatever production room was basically the entire. Uh, uh, part of an 18 wheeler, the trailer was converted into a studio, right. And like a television studio production facility. And I remember going in there to see some of the footage or the video, um, after the show. And it blew my mind. That was the first time I had ever seen HD and, uh, on a, you know, on a big screen in a dark room with great audio. It was, it was, it was cool, man. I'll bet my friend Petty Lane, who's who's watching, is a big Peter Frampton fan, huh. massive Peter Frampton fan, yeah. and she's saying she believes that was two thousand, the year two thousand, when that came out. So I'm, I'm oh, is that that uh, okay? Got, got it. Yeah, okay, she's probably right. She's she's yeah. pretty good. She's 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 on it usually. So that sounds about right. That's you know that's only twenty one years ago now, man. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? <laughs> Unreal. Uh, let me see if there's a, a, a question I might have mix, uh, missed here. Um, okay. Some great guys watching, great friends. Dave Wasikinen's watching. Uh, George Sandler met you at at the NAMM show. He said you were yeah. a great guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Let's see. Let's see. I, I, I apologize to anyone who asked a question and I missed it. Um, Eddie said we would share recipes with you, but then we'd have to kill you. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right. That sounds about right. That's Eddie. Yep. Exactly. Yep. All right. Well, I was just going to say, um, 
I was just going to ask you just because we, we just the other day we were talking and, and you mentioned you were working with Kenny yesterday. And, uh-huh. and I, I thought that would be a good segue just to sort of talk about, you know, just giving people an idea when you're called to go in and do a session or, or a record with a guy like Kenny or, or any artist. Um, how much of that is, are you coming in like, are you writing charts when you come in there? Like, are you, do you have an idea what the music's going to be before you get there? Or are, is the producer or Kenny or both like playing, um, you know, demo tracks for you to listen, to get an idea of what you're going to play or just love to pick your brain on like how that process works for you. Sure. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, typically the, the, uh, there's a, there's a leader, a leader, side man like in, in the union world there's the lead a leader on a contract a, a musician's contract there's a leader and then there's the you know the the band the side men yeah. and uh typically the leader is responsible for uh for getting copies of the demo of a song that we're going to record his job is to chart that song uh that's usually provided by the production assistant or the producer. Sometimes the artist will forward that the, the demos over to whoever's in charge of writing those charts. So that's kind of the way it starts is, is yeah. you know, at the point that, you know, the bell rings and it's time to start working, we'll go into the control room and they'll hand out the charts. We'll listen to the demo. We'll, we'll, compare notes on the demo with what's written on the chart. And at that point, we all collectively and individually start to make our own notes on that chart about what's essential uh, to, to include from the demo and, uh, and or we'll start making notes to change what's on the demo to try to make it a better record for the artist in this case since we're talking about Chet, uh, Kenny this is for him you know so we're we're trying to get a fundamental starting place beyond the demo right right and then from there Kenny is and Kenny is really exceptionally good at this um, uh, he really really pours over him and his uh, producer buddy Cannon really work hard at at the song selection process. So long before any any charts are written or any of that happens, they have spent, I don't know how many hours and I don't know how many songs they've gone through to choose the batch that they want to record. So, so that work is basically done. And then Kenny uh, will articulate pretty specifically what he wants to, to bring across from the demo and what he's open to change about, you know? Yeah, yeah. So, so by the time we get on the floor and start tracking and playing, uh, we've got a pretty good roadmap written before we even set foot on our, uh, uh, on, on the you know, guitar chair or drum chair, keyboards, whatever it is, you know, we've got a pretty good idea of what we're going to go, chase after you know Mm -hmm. and uh then once we start playing you know as you know once you actually start playing with the band that you're with that informs 
everything that happens after that, because now the demo is just the demo that we listen to. Now we've taken it, we're, we've, we've taken it to an, another place that might be very similar, but we've, our job is to elevate that uh, and take that to a whole other level above the demo and hopefully uh, make something out of it that, uh, that the artist is really going to be excited about singing potentially for the rest of his or her career if it's a hit. You know what I mean? So, Absolutely, yeah. So that's kind of a, you know, it's it's a pretty, it's a it's an important job that we have to help these these artists get what they want because they have to live with this music forever. Right. You know, we have to record it the be- as best we can. And at the end of that session, we go on to the next task, mm-hmm. you know, and there you go. So, yeah. so yeah, I, I hope that answered the question. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And 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 you actually answered a question I was going to ask you, uh, which was, you know, um, when you said, you know, it informs once you get together with the rest of the guys and gals and 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 actually play, then that informs, you know, other ideas and 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 that was going to be a question: is like, do things sort of change once you've once you actually kind of put the rubber to the road, which it sounds like it does, it's like you, you're looking at it, listening to a demo, maybe with a drum machine or something. And, uh, and you know, you're looking at a chart and then when you sit down and play and you feel the, the vibes and the energy, then other things can happen. And, and from there, like you say, and, and, and that makes sense too. an artist like Kenny will, maybe there's certain things he wants to keep in there, but you've got the freedom to try some other things, to do some, to put your yeah. own spin on it yeah and that's why yeah and and and, you know kenny kenny's one of those guys that you know uh he really is uh he's very generous with with the creative process you know and it's very much a team kind of effort that goes on when we're all together and i think we're a buddy and i were uh, his producer were talking about this uh a couple days ago um I want to say that it's, we're like on the eighth or ninth record together now, something like that, which is kind of unheard of, That's you amazing. know, yeah. it's, but it's, it's a great team. It's a great yeah. bunch of guys and girls that, that, that work on this stuff. And, and uh, so anyway, he's real generous with, with uh, allowing us to go after something. If, if there's, if there's a pretty powerful feeling coming off the floor about it, but he is also uh, very willing and able to make a decision mm-hmm. and that's it, you know, yeah. and, and that's man, it's great to work with somebody like that because he knows what he wants. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and he's, he knows what he wants, but he's also willing to try another idea. He may not take that in, but he's willing to give it a shot. Yeah. No, that makes perfect sense, Chad, because I would think as a session player, you know, you, you want, you want to have direction. You want to know, like, if you're not digging me playing the ride on this part of the tune, then, then yeah, rather than not saying anything and then next time bringing somebody else in just, yeah, exactly. Communicate, talk about it. Tell me what, what you're digging. Maybe if there's something you don't want to have happen and, um, and that's that's trust. That's what I see that as is like yeah. you say, if you're on your eighth or ninth record, he's he's got a he's got a great team in place and yeah. people that he trusts. Yeah, that that's it. I mean, it's their their friendships that have evolved, and 
you know, yeah, it's it's a it's a it's a it's a it's a it's a really lovely thing to get to say, yeah, we're we're on our eighth ninth record together. It's like, wow, that's that's kind of neat. Well, that's and not even knowing that that you've done that many records with Kenny. When I said yesterday that, or the other day when I said that's why you're in the major leagues. That's why you're in the major leagues. <laughs> well, <laughs> because I couldn't throw the baseball quite fast enough. <laughs> you know? It's funny that I used a, a baseball analogy, not even realizing that you, that you wanted to be a baseball player. It's I, because you're a, it's, you're a Sox fan. You can't help it. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, and Anthony, Anthony uh, Cusina had another question just asking, yeah. what kinds of things are you working on these days to improve your playing? And um, any studies that you had uh, coming up as a drummer, if you if you had um, lessons or any books, maybe you work from or. Well, unfortunately, Anthony, I, I'm I'm not going to be able to tell you too much about you know structured um, exercises and and training and stuff. I, I didn't do a lot of that. I it, I I tried. Um, a little bit of instruction with a jazz guy and uh, just a few lessons. And I thought that I needed to examine my technique of playing, you know, and, and maybe find better ways to do that. And so I got with this guy and uh, I play an open, I'm open-handed, you know, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm, I, I do not play a traditional grip. And, he encouraged me to do that and he explained to me why I should do that and, and the approaches to all of that. And it made sense, you know, the rudiments and, you know, getting into the books and, you know, I can totally get in a traditional grip. You, the, your velocity is different. Your, you know, your stick action is, is a different thing. It's probably, uh, it's, it's considerably faster to execute the notes and, um, but the important thing for me was I hated it. I didn't like a tradition. I didn't like it. And so I lost my joy for the concept of, okay, I'm going to be a traditional grip guy. and I'm going to do all that stuff. I just didn't, it didn't feel natural to me. It didn't feel like I was like, I was trying to become something I wasn't, if, if that makes sense. And so it just felt really unnatural. So um, I really never had a formal method of, of like self-training and, and, and education. I worked out of the Podemski book a little bit, you know, and, and uh, just for some rudiment stuff and, and just really fundamental stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, but mostly what I did was I listened to records on headphones, uh, literal like LPs on a, shitty little record player with that had a headphone jack and I sat on my kit and I learned to play barnstorm note for note note or I learned to play you know roundabout by yes or I learned how to play Al Green stuff that Al Jackson and our you know you know on and on and on and on. Yeah yep that was that was my schooling until somebody gave me a job to play the drums for them and pay me for it. And then that sent me on a whole other 
kind of journey, you know, of work, working for people who uh, were showing me new ways to do things. And in some cases, kicking my ass all the way down the road until I figured <laughs> it out, you know? Yeah. So, so that's mostly, mostly how I learned. So my reading chops and all of that are limited. I do read, but I don't read a lot of uh, orchestrated percussion kind of stuff. I don't, I don't play the hi-hat part that's written and the kick drum part that's written and the da-da-da-da-da, then the Tom Fields is written. I'm not that guy. You know, there are, there are guys out there that burn that stuff down yeah. and they're amazing at it. I'm not one of those. I'm, I'm, I like to think of myself as a band guy, mostly, mm-hmm. that happens to be a session player. So yeah. I, I, I read well enough, but I'm not an amazing player. Yeah, no, that's, and, and it, it works, it works great for you. You know, you, you have enough of a fundamental reading, you know, understanding of reading to, to do yeah. what you have to do, but you don't, and it sounds like, you know, for the records that you're, that you're doing and, and all the work you do, and there's a ton of it, you know, you're not having to come in and read a entire chart of, of, you know, notation of like, like you say, how many beats to play in the hi-hat and, and, uh, yeah. And all that. Not yeah. too often. Yeah. yeah not too I don't often. do that too often. Uh, but, I'm uh, huh? oh, sorry. I was going to say, and you're, you're, you do some things left handed, right? Am I right about yeah, that? Yeah. Well, I'm ambidextrous. So, so, okay. you know, being self taught, I didn't know that you're not supposed to do something. I just knew, oh, that's easier to reach than that is, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And it just, it kind of starts, you know, it, you start putting your single stroke fills in there. And you've got a pretty good idea. You're going to land your single scrub, how you lead your fill. You're going to land either with your right hand or your left hand. And, and sometimes I don't know which hand it's going to be until I get to the end of the fill <laughs> because I'm really not that skilled at it. You know, it's all instinct. It's just all yeah. like reacting to a moment, you know, a musical moment. I didn't realize. I no that. idea. Yeah, I didn't realize. So, so you you often will lead. Do you often lead fills with different hands? Do you do you yeah. not predominantly lead with your right or your left? Just yeah, I mean, hands? well, probably predominantly I lead right-handed. Yeah, you know, but that that's not always the case. Definitely not. I mean, you yeah. know, sometimes I'll I'll find myself thinking, ooh. You know, what if I do this? You know, and yeah, it's either going to work really well or it's going to cause a train wreck. I'm never sure, but <laughs> but I try not to have the train wreck. But see, that's cool. That opens up a whole other level and world to you, like you say, where you can, where your mind's not blocked or set on you know it having to be by the rules. The rules are I have to do it this way. Like if you're if you're comfortable doing it with your left hand that can open up another, I don't have to tell you this, but like a, another sort of parameter to doing something with your right hand while you do yeah. that with your left hand. That Absolutely. Yeah. A lot of yeah. guys yeah. might not have. Well, you're a Southpaw, you, you know, you, yeah. you're a lefty, right? So, so yeah. I, I would be willing to bet you that you're doing some of that too, you know, uh, just because sometimes the notes that you're playing uh, if you're if you're playing by instinct, you don't know what you're going to do next. You're going to yeah. respond to something that triggers uh, a, a way to express that 
passage through the arrangement. And it may be that you've got to lead something with your right hand instead of your left or vice versa. And, and that's the whole instinct of playing. I guess that's the, that's the improvisational part of it. And really, I think that the further outside of traditional construction that you get, I think that's where the further away from that you can get, the closer you're going to get to what your real signature is as a, as a player, like where, where it's all coming from, you know, the, the it's because we can all learn what it is we're supposed to do. Right. But, but how we learn to express ourselves just purely by instinct is, is the, the great unknown. I mean, that's, that's the, that's why we go and we want to see what Max Roach wanted to do. And, and that's why we go and, and see what Al Jackson did and what, you know, it's Bill Bruford and on and on. And, you know, all these amazing drummers that have, have done stuff that, um, you know, the cats that, that we all read the books about were the guys that broke all of those rules. Right. Yeah. You know? Right on. Yep. And, and uh, that's what we're, that's what we study. So the, to try to find out what your signature is, is, is that's the fun of it to me is, 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 is finding that place, you know? Yeah. And then recovering from it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hoping, you know, hoping you land on one, no matter yeah, what. Yeah. Hoping <laughs> that you don't make everybody turn around and look at you like, uh, Oh, what did I do? I did this thing. Uh, uh, I, I think I was, who was I talking to? I was telling a story. Oh, I know what it was. Um, I was I was doing an interview uh, for a, uh, a it was a video being developed, film being developed about uh, a, a drummer's. Uh, you might know her. Her name is Erin Feinberg. Oh yeah, you, sure, yeah, yeah, yep. right. And you know the drummer film that she's been working on. I, I don't know where I she's do. at with all that right now, but. Uh, uh, I was, I did a, a kind of a, a, a part of my interview was dedicated to talking about stuff like this. And, and, mm -hmm. uh, and I told her this story about, about working with Neil and, uh, and we were, I don't know where we were, but we were, we were playing somewhere and, uh, and I'm, I'm playing and I, Somehow, I, I just got a little too carried away with where I was in the moment. I don't remember exactly what was happening. But what I do remember was he turns around and looks at me on stage. And it's like, what the fuck are you doing back? You know, it was like one of those like kind of like, oh, there's, there's a double barrel shotgun aimed at me right now. You know, how do I survive this? And uh, <laughs> I'll never forget that, that what that, what, what that felt like. And it was me really, all I was trying to do was expand on the musical thought that was going on at the time. Yeah. What my mistake was is that, is that I didn't stay in the lane that ultimately lets Neil determine where we're going you know well and and it took me it took time 
for that relationship with him to build uh, to the point where we could mutually trust each other to push and pull in places where maybe, you know, it's unexpected, but hey, let's go, you know, yeah. and, and, and for years, it took, it took a lot of those, what the fuck are you, you know, it took a lot of those before I started learning the language well enough to, 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 uh, to step out on the limb with him, you know, instead of interrupting his process. Right. So, uh, you know, there's a limit to how much signature you get to put on somebody <laughs> else's music, you know, but, uh, but you got to try, right? Yeah, no, that's a great story, man. That's a that's a great lesson. And Joe Vitale saying, "I've seen and heard that response." <laughs> <laughs> yes, he has. I guarantee it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh, that's too funny. I'm sure the two of you guys could just tell war stories all day, yeah. on and on and on. Yeah, we yeah. could do a year of this. Yeah, man. You know, I was just gonna just talking about that too. Um, just jumping back to when I saw you with with CSNY and uh, and and I know this is common knowledge to to any guitar player out there, but it was this dumb drummer at the time didn't realize how incredible a guitar player Stephen Stills is. Yeah, um, man, mm -hmm. I just remember sitting there. I was I was you know glued to him half the night i mean just playing these ripping guitar solos just and and, yeah. and not just his so just his, his melodic guitar playing and everything yeah and, yeah he's an incredible musician yeah. you know i mean you know his his uh gosh you know he's he's made quite the contribution to uh to to the guitar, you know, and, and uh, the, the business of, of all of that, the influence of the players and then the songwriting, his singing, you know, uh, man, that guy, he's yeah. done some amazing stuff. Yeah. And, I, uh, I, yeah. And he's, a, he's, and he's such a character, you know, he's just, he's really, he is a, he's just wide open. You know, yeah, yeah. It's just kind of like bouncing off the wall with, <laughs> with, with energy, and you know, he's a fascinating guy. Uh, to, to to I really, really, really enjoyed um, watching him interact with Neil. The the two of them, they 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 have a very very deep place that they go to together, and. Uh, um, it was really, really fun to to be back there in the back watching that yeah. bounce back and forth, and how they were gonna, you know, in the jamming stuff that we would get into. Uh, right, it was right. always fun because, see, to me, you know, like Neil is is easily in my top three favorite rock and roll guitar players I was of all say, time. He's no slouch at all. Yeah. No, and and he does more with one note solos than anybody I know. And, and he throws, it just blows me away how intense that gets. Yeah. Steven yeah. is, is like chop wise, you know, uh, it, it's more, a little bit more complicated, you know, yeah. Every bit is expressive and, and all of that, but just a bit more, what's the word? 
technical, you know, yeah. as yeah. a player, you know, it's just amazing. But you know what my favorite thing is about Steven is when he plays acoustic guitar. It's, yeah. I don't know how he does it. Uh, I, he makes a bigger noise out of that thing than just about anybody I've ever heard. Just incredible yeah. acoustic yeah. guitar player, you know? Yeah. So. Well, that's man. That's that's just some some great insight to to working with these guys. I mean, that are. Yeah. I, I mean, do you ever see a day that that they could go out again as as Christ the four of them? Young? Yeah. Ah, uh, man. Without I, getting yeah. into any behind the scenes. Well, stuff, but. it's no secret that there's some pretty significant issues with the four of them getting back together. Yeah. I mean, it's very public, you know, and, uh, you know, ironically, I saw an interview with David uh, a couple of days ago, somewhere on the Internet, I forget where it was, and he talked about it, you know, and, and they asked him that question. So it's not me responding here. It's yeah. this yeah. is his answer to that question. And he basically said, I, I don't think it's that's possible. Mm. And. He's he regrets that, you know, but uh, but I, he, he, you know, his response was kind of, man, you know, we've all done a lot of damage to each other. And, you know, I'm not sh I don't see it. He, he said, I don't see it happen. Is it impossible? No, it's not impossible. Anything could happen. Sure. Uh, and hopefully there's something there that might lead them back to a place where they could all talk about it and try to take another swing at it. You know? Yeah. I don't, yeah. I, I don't know, but, but his forecast is not particularly good about that. Yeah. Well, yeah. we can remain hopeful anyway that, that that's uh, it. Yeah. 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 Hopefully yeah. it can. Yeah. 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 Before, it's, you know, before, Harry, it's gonna, yeah. Harry McCarthy's going to need the gig. So, if, well, if nothing you know, else for Harry. Yeah, I mean, wh whatever we have to do for Harry. <laughs> you know, Harry, uh, are you there? He's probably walking his dog or something. He's walking his dog or he's playing golf, Chad. Something. He's, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. I know. He's. I'm going to see him after a while. So I'll, I'll ask him if you paid close attention to this uh, beautiful podcast. Yeah. Well, brother, <laughs> I, this this has been so much fun and, and – uh, and we've been talking about trying to get get together, and we'll do that in a in a private phone call. But this has been so great to just catch up like this and and have you share some of these stories and 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 uh, your experience, your career with everybody. It's phenomenal. Well, man, you know, it, uh, thank you so much for for inviting me to come on here with you. And I, you're cons you're one of my pals, man, and part of the family. And I miss you, and I, and so I'm grateful that we got to do this and, and busy, the busy lives that we all have. And, uh, man, let's, let's, uh, let's just keep going. Let's keep talking and we yeah. will make those plans. We'll have that bottle of Brunello. Yes. We, well, at least one, at least one. Yeah. <laughs> We've been known to do that. <laughs> we have been known to, to ruffle up a few feathers. Yeah. Yes, indeed. <laughs> uh, this has been fantastic. Um, Back at so you, my friend. Thanks, buddy. And and Dave Wasikinen, um sends his best to you. He's been he's been 
posting up some comments here. So if you get a minute, I know you're going to be busy today, but it's all on, you can look at some of the comments on Facebook and, and, uh, so what do I do? Do I just go to Facebook? Yeah. In and fact, I, I tagged your page. So this should be visible. In fact, I think that's how Wendy saw this. It's, oh, it's okay. Okay. on your, on your page to see. And, uh, as a, like a static, a static yeah. show. And Joe Joe says, thanks guys. See you down the road. Absolutely. Love you, pal. See you soon, buddy. Yeah. Eddie to Dury too. Eddie, love you, brother. Joe, love you. Can't wait to have you on in a couple of weeks. And, uh, <laughs> In the meantime, everybody, a big hand for Chad Cromwell. Hey! My brother, thank you so much. Um, Chad, if you wouldn't mind, stick around just for 10 more seconds. I'll, I'll end the stream, and, and I'll see you in the, in, the, in the green room in just a second. Okay, pal. All right. Thanks, buddy. Thanks, everybody, for watching. Stay tuned. Uh, I don't have...